Chris, we're a couple of days away from Christmas. We're also a couple of days away from you uh, coming over to the West. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing a second episode in front of a live audience because no doubt at some stage it's going to happen again. Um, mate, tell us what's going on in your world. I know uh, Hotel Trentham is very close to opening up, which is great, and uh, a few other things. What's going on? Yeah, no, it is. It's We're, we're close. We, we'd hope to be open before Christmas, but uh, learning to deal with councils and their timeframes and the energy-safe Victorias of the world, it's been uh, an exercise in patience. Um, but no, it's going well. The public's great. It's exciting. We've got great people. Um did my first ever uh, kitchen hand uh, shift last night, so trying to learn all elements of the business. So have Arco Bar down in Melbourne as well, and so worked the dishes there last night, which was fun. And you know, in and amongst all of that, we're uh, you know building a team in Taranaki. So uh, no, very busy. I'm fair to say, I just said to you off air, I haven't bought one Christmas present yet. And as we record this, I th- it's the 22nd of December, and you know there might be some very very late. Christmas Eve shopping uh, before I jump on a plane and uh, come and watch you get married, mate. Just tell me, are you more Gordon Ramsay or are you more the Swedish chef from the Muppets at this stage? It's no, it's the Muppets. It's, it's, <laughs> you know what? I've, I've never worked with a hose with so much pressure and you can just spray that anywhere. It's so much fun. It's I, I didn't hate it. I, would, I probably wouldn't want to do it as a full-time job, but I'll tell you what, it's funny when you go through everyone wants to work front of house as would be expected not as many people want to do that job i reckon that's the one the minute i find someone that i love that'll be the one i pay more money to yeah it's no it's it's been fun um haven't watched basketball in the last 48 hours outside of a few highlights it's, you know i can call it work now i've put all the basketball up on the screens in the front bar of the pub and settle in and do my work there so uh no, uh, mate, it's been busy. Fair to say. Very good. Um, let's jump into NBL. I guess the biggest news uh, that came late last night is that Casey Prather has signed on with the Brisbane Bullets for the rest of the season. It comes as DJ Mitchell is out for the rest of the season with a hip injury. Um, Prather has won a championship with the Wildcats. He's won a championship with Melbourne United. He's probably hasn't played basketball. This is back-to-back imports that haven't played basketball in two years. What are you expecting from Casey Prather in Brisbane and how do you see that fit of Casey Prather in Brisbane? Well, the first thing, the fit's got to be good. I mean, anytime you can bring in talent in a spot where you don't have a lot of depth and Brisbane doesn't have a lot of depth in that spot, it's got to help. But I must admit, my, my first thought went to... Did the Phoenix talk to him as well? Because he would have been perfect for the Phoenix. And the Phoenix with Casey Prather, I think, sort of sit in that championship contender uh, window. I still don't think Brisbane do. I don't think Brisbane, I don't think adding Casey Prather to Brisbane makes him a contender. 
it'll certainly make them better and they might find their way into a play-in spot and, and maybe expect to. Um, but that's what you get at this time of year when you've got to have your imports in by a certain date and essentially anyone, and, and this is what the basketball public, I think, tend to forget, is they want us to, or they want teams to bring in high-quality imports. But the only guys you can bring in are guys without a job right now. So you're limited to guys who don't have a job, which makes it really, really difficult if there's an injury at this time of year. So, yeah, he helps. Um a little bit like we saw with Phoenix's first game, there's going to be a uh, a period of time where it doesn't look fantastic while they try to integrate him into what they do. But um, good for them. Good to have quality imports back in the league. But I guess the, the there is a part of me that wonders: Has he been injured? Yes. Okay, because you always wonder why they haven't played for two years. So as great as they are here, if they can't pick up a game somewhere else, you ask a question. But um, You talk about the Phoenix inquiring. I will flip this on its head and wonder if the Wildcats were inquiring with Casey Prather because I could see a world where they move off Jordan Usher to bring in someone to help them try and firm up their, their championship aspirations for this season. Um, Usher started off with a bang with the 35 points in game one. Um, and since then has been relegated to a bench position. Um, probably only most notable making that three point shot to send it, uh, for the Wildcats win in, uh, against an undermanned Melbourne United team. But, uh, I'd be interested to know if Casey Prather was on the Wildcats radar as well. That being said, I don't see Jordan Usher being here when the Wildcats come back. They're on a three-week road trip now um, over the next little bit. And by the time they get back, they need to have an import in place to play the seven games, uh, I right. believe, once he's back. So interesting times in the NBL. I'd expect a few more moves over this Christmas period, but Casey Prather definitely helps Brisbane. Do I think they become championship contenders? I do not. Um, and it will take time for them to, to get back, um, get him right, playing the right way. Just, just on that. I mean, you, you say we're Perth looking at Casey Prather. I'd, I'd suggest that, even if they hadn't, if if they weren't looking at him, that it would be negligent of Casey Prather's agent to not have called every team in the NBL to ask if he could place Casey Prather back in Australia, uh, and maybe he did, and maybe he chose Brisbane. But my hope would be that the Wildcats absolutely made a decision, or Casey made a decision, but they were both aware of each other's interests. Well, I believe the, the reason for the Brisbane move was the relationship with Justin Shuler that he had at Melbourne United and they've stayed in touch um, since Casey had left and obviously um, Shuler wanted to, make him, wanted to make moves to try and uh, help his team going forward. I think it's a really... And, and he did sign for two years, didn't he? He signed for next year as well, which I forgot. So that actually really... That, sorry, that, I should have brought that up at the start. That makes it a much better signing for Brisbane, if not this year, than coming in the next year with a full pre-season. So, yeah, that, and that all makes sense about Justin Shuler. This is not on our run sheet, and this is a question without notice. And we it's don't about, have a run sheet. <laughs> we've got dot points. Um, without notice, with Brisbane... 
How do you see managing the three big situation with Harrison, Baines and Rocco? What what would you do in that situation? All three are worthy of minutes. Uh, All three have shown different strengths and different aspects. It's just almost an embarrassment of riches in that position for them. I don't think anyone else in the league can come close to them as far as depth in that position. Um, What are your thoughts around that? I would move on Aaron Baines at the end of this season. I I would move him on. He's a high-income or high-salary player who we've discussed in previous pods is is battling both with form and with off-court, and that's a lot of money to tie up into a guy when you do have that embarrassment of riches. I'd invest in Tyrell Harrison as my guy moving forward, and I'd know that Rocco Zakarski, we're only going to have him for probably another 18 months. I'd be looking and scouring the league as to who do I bring in when Rocco goes to the NBA. But it would be to back up Tyrell Harrison, who I believe if he remains injury-free, can be one of the best bigs in this league in 18 months' time. Very good. Um, Did you watch the game where DJ Vasiljevic uh, got a hamstring cramp? (laughs) I I did, and it became a big story, didn't it? it? Yeah. And you know what? The NBL wants to be like the NBA. But but even let's compare it to the AFL as well. Can you imagine that happening in the AFL? Or let's say it wasn't right on the sideline. No, because there's a fence there. So let's say it wasn't right on the sideline. Let's say it was on the free throw line. Would have we expected someone to jump up from a corporate box and run, run onto the court? No. Would you expect it in the NBA if Steph Curry got a cramp and the guy on? No, you don't touch the players. Um, I, I do think it has to be a blanket rule. You don't touch them. I think the guy's intent was right. I, I like that DJ was good about it and actually went and gave him a jersey and all that. It was harmless. But I do think the rule has to be in place because where do you draw the line with touching players or interacting with them during the game? So, yeah, I'd probably sit there. No one was hurt. No one really cared. But at least we now know the position the NBL takes. I have the opposite view on this to you. Um, and you asked if Steph Curry was there with a cramp. I'd 100% see a fan lifting up his leg to try and help him out. We were lucky that that guy was a physio, yes. But would I, would you see that in the NBA? I think if that exact situation happened close to a, the sideline, for example, I could see a fan helping him out and do that. The one thing, obviously, the NBL has gotten a lot bigger over the last five years, and Larry Kesselman's done a great job with all that. The one thing that basketball, it became more of a business and less emotion, like less motion and and all that. And I think that was a necessary step. However, the human element, Here's a guy who was probably clearly a Melbourne supporter uh, that helped out an Adelaide player um, in the most harmless way you could. I thought that was a great thing by the fan. I thought it was a great response by DJ, and I think it should have been just a play on. Now, had it been 
when uh, the Sydney import cannonballed into the Illawarra uh, box and the old man that pulled, poured pulled the, the beer, beer on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different story. You're of like, no, you're a dickhead. So but, just, all, all, but all this, I mean, okay, so let's say that he doesn't do that, right? Mm-hmm. What's the worst that's going to happen for DJ? He's got cramped for 10 extra seconds. I mean, his physio's walking out. I mean, it's we're talking 10 seconds. Just let That's another story just, altogether. Just, just let people just let people do their jobs. They're, yeah. they're, we've got you, you mentioned the professionalism. There's a physio within no more than ninety four feet. He'll he'll be there in seconds. Yeah, agree to disagree on this one. Sure. You got anything else on the NBL, mate? That you want to talk about? No, no, no. Probably just with that. It, it, it's a little bit of a carry on where. You know, the, the, and it comes back to the refereeing and it's the NBA as well as the NBL and I don't want to traipse into the NBA yet, but allowing players to have emotion, you talk about the level of professionalism and we've seen it across leagues around the world with, you know, remonstrating with umpires, with tech fouls for hanging on rings, for, for taunting. Um, they just need, athletes need to be allowed to have emotion and to show emotion. I don't think there's anything wrong if you dunk on someone to say something. Don't push them. Don't, but if you just stand there and look at them, really, we, we can't deal with that. So I, I just I don't want to see the game sanitised. And, and, and maybe that sounds contradictory to, to what I've just said about the physio, but the, the most enjoyable and the most memorable moments I've experienced or watched in sport are the really unique ones where people show emotion. And we've always said that sport is like a real-life soap opera. No one's going to tune in and watch a soap opera that's monotone. We, we want to see emotion. We, we want combativeness. So I don't know. I, I just think the league, as it tightens up the way it's officiated, needs to be careful not to remove emotion from the game of basketball. I think that the NBL has just tried to move to an AFL model of no talk back, nothing like that. Um, the NBL is spawned from the NBA. Let's be totally clear about this. So we are a mini me in so many ways of what America does and how America does it. We probably don't carry on as much as what a Draymond Green does. Well, I used to, but for the most part, a lot of people don't. Um, but you're right, the basketball is an emotional game. It's riding the highs and low as a player. It's riding the highs and low as a fan um, with all that. And to think that um, the non-emotion of it, um, I, I mean, I've tried a lot throughout my career to try and suppress my emotion when shit doesn't go your way and all that. And it's hard because you're so invested into winning. You're so invested into helping your team. Um, The one thing about uh, referees is that for the most part, they're guys that have never played or girls that have never played the game uh, or never good enough to play at a level that we were fortunate to play at. and then when you get the shitty attitudes to match it, it drives you insane. Um, I'm not saying that we as players were always right, um, but 
I think, and feel free to disagree with me, but there'd be nothing worse than an umpire that would stonewall you um, and give you nothing back when asking a legit question at times. And sometimes you could challenge them on physics of, you know, (laughs) if I slap the ball and two hands go up in the air, it means I got the ball. If I go up for a shot and one hand's in front of the other, it means something in my arm's been hit. But it's small details as an umpire that I don't believe they understand the game. They've never understood jumping up for a dunk and someone clipping you in the lower legs and the impact that that has on your body. Um, so, and, and, and that's, I, I think that's a completely, not completely, that's, that's even further aside of the emotion, but they've got to allow, there's got to be a, a small window of time. And you mentioned the AFL, they, they went all the way where the minute you showed any dissent was a 50 metre penalty and they wound it back to something appropriate. Yeah. Um, you know, there's got to be a, a number of seconds that, you can, as long as you're not swearing or insulting, whatever it might be, okay, it might be a couple of seconds and it's done and you walk away. But the, the one that gets me is when, and they're, they're called referees in basketball, not umpires still. Um, I said referees. No, you didn't. You said umpires. Go back and listen to oh, it. Oh, um, bullshit. <laughs> you'll see. Um, but the one, the, um, <laughs> the umpires. Yes, got him. Got him. Yes. <laughs> The, the, the referees who give back-to-back technical fouls. A technical foul, hang on, but technical foul, and you're out. There's got to be a window of time where... And that's more NBA-based right now. Yeah, than, what, what causes NBA. the technical foul should still carry over for the next five seconds. You shouldn't be able to get one in that next five seconds unless it's a completely unassociated act. We, we, we want emotion and we want our best players on the floor. I agree. Um, I agree. Speaking of the NBA, I, it's been a really interesting watch. We we covered off the in-season tournament. Um, the, the, the Pacers and the Lakers who played off in that final won a combined two out of their next ten games. Um, is there anything to read into that? Is it is the emotional ride they went on to win that thing, Is it, does the regular season then become a letdown? Is there a reason or is it just pure fluke and let's see if it looks like that next year as well? It's funny, I watched the uh, Lakers' first game and it was against the Spurs uh, post-in-season tournament and on the first play that Anthony Davis went over on his ankle and I felt like I was Leonardo DiCaprio in that meme pointing like we'd just spoken about how Anthony Davis was about to go down in a heap of shit um, sort of situation. Um, But... You could say that there was some emotion attached to this in-season tournament for the teams that were vying for for the prize money. And obviously, they probably enjoyed themselves afterwards. They were in Vegas after all. And if you've ever been to Vegas and you want to have a good time, I'm sure you can find it. And for me, I guess this is the downside of what, you know, we'll see how this plays out for the rest of the season. But... I was expecting a lull from both of these teams. They, they played at a high level during this in-season tournament. Um, and then it's like everyone's taken a collective breath at both organisations and then reality sat in of, you know, these teams that weren't so invested in the in-season tournament have come out and said, well, you know, 
it's all cool and well to win this tournament, but I'd know what I'd rather win. If you were a player, Chris, would you be more into the in-season tournament or would you want to win a national championship? Well, of course I'd want to win a national championship, but the half million dollars for someone on my salary would have been appealing as well. Yep. Um, somebody who doesn't need half a million dollars and you know, a lot of conversations being had about breakout years from players, but almost quietly Joel Embiid's putting together a statement season and his best games are against challenges uh, to the to the NBA championship. And I watched him. There'd been a lot of commentary around Minnesota being the best defensive team in the league, about Rudy Gobert, about Carl Towns now defending, even though they hide him a little bit, about Anthony Edwards and, and what they've been. And by the way, I love the Minnesota story. I, I love the fact that everyone said it was a bust when they brought Gobert in. They gave it time. They stuck with their decision to bring him in and it's, they've proven a lot of people wrong so I love that but then you get to the 76ers and there are two threads here Embiid put up 51 against the best defensive front court in the league in, a, in many people's mind you, and you, you you just get glimpses through through an NBA season as to hang on a second as well as you're going we've still got this and, and I think it sort of leads into my second point that the reason he's able to have games like that is because James Harden doesn't exist in his world anymore. The ball doesn't stop. It keeps moving. He gets it in his spots and he's got guys around him who will play without the basketball. Um, and, and and that leads into a, a Zach Levine conversation that we'll pick up in a minute. But how have you seen Joel Embiid and the 76ers? Uh, I was unsure... I thought they would be better off without Harden and they've been exponentially better without Harden <laughs> and the way that they go about their business. Joel Embiid is the best player in the NBA currently and he's he's just a, he's just tough to match up against. He's so good. Uh, Anthony Edwards tried to end his life yesterday with that dunk on him, but Joel Embiid was there to stop a dunk at the rim. Um so I've been pleasantly surprised about um, the 76ers and where they're at currently. I'm just going to touch on Minnesota since we spoke, we touched on them. Um, I get the feeling that Minnesota are going to be the Spurs from the Donovan Mitchell era. They're going to be a very good team that won't be good enough come playoff time and will fall short. Um, they've built a very similar sort of system to what Utah had um, for many years. They're always going to be competitive, but there's something about it that I just don't trust. And I don't know what it is. I, this is just me being saying it as, as I see it, that they, they just don't have enough when it comes to winning playoff games. The, the thing that they are at the moment, and I've always loved in teams that don't have the absolute top-end talent is the ability to be different. And I always reference the Hawthorne Footy Club with their rolling zone, mm-hmm. you know, the Western Bulldogs with their, their flick in the, the, the flick handballs in the AFL. But one thing they are is different. But over a seven-game series, I think you can figure different out. You, you get more than one swing at it. So 
they've certainly got a lot to prove. They haven't done anything yet. Um, now, touching on Zach Levine, and I, it's been really interesting. Zach Levine's a very talented scorer, poor defensively, great athlete. Even going back to Minnesota, he is what he is. Is he creeping into that James Harden sphere where as well as he can score, a younger version, of course, teams are actually better off without him. It's addition by subtraction. So since Zach Levine has been out with an injury, you know, Kobe White's improved, their ball movement's improved, they're defending better. They're 9-3 and three without Zach Levine, and I don't think anyone expects Zach Levine to play another game for the Bulls. But what's he worth on the open market is, is going to interest me, and I don't know. Um, but he sits in a really similar space to me to James Harden where I think the Bulls will be better off without him. And all of a sudden, without having to completely retool, just getting rid of the most ball-dominant player on that team allows the group to figure out what each other are capable of. And even the commentary coming out of the locker room, you know, the ball's moving. Like just little comments that are little drive-bys. They, the Chicago, and they had one of the most impressive wins actually against the 76ers just this week. In a tight game, they won it down the stretch. They survived a Joel Embiid game, uh, buzzer-beating game-tying shot. But statement wins like that, I think, rubber stamp the direction they're going without Zach Levine. You say Harden, I'll add Kyrie Irving to it. Just sure. better teams without it, uh, without that sort of player. And what will they get in return? Hopefully rotational pieces and maybe some salary dump <laughs> pieces. Uh, to open up the market for them to go after a free agent next year. But, um, yeah, the Bulls quite clearly are a better team without him. What they will get in return, I know what they'll they'll try and get a, an all-star caliber type of player there, um, but I don't think they'll receive an all-star caliber player because I don't know which team, which contending team would benefit from a Zach Levine right now. I just don't see it. The, well, I, don't, I don't think anyone would. And I don't, the only one that I see who might want to make a move might be, say, a D'Angelo Russell type at the Lakers to go and give them some scoring punch, maybe. But it might not be a contender. You might find a, a Charlotte or a Detroit want to get off some young assets who they're not, they, they don't quite value as much. And Detroit, and we'll get to Detroit soon, you know, they wouldn't mind someone to sell some tickets and, give them the ability to score the basketball. But you're right, there's no one that stands out. But speaking of trades, you know, one of the teams closest to us is the New York Knicks. And, you know, we've been on this thing and we've spoken about their three key targets. And the reason that they were their three key targets as much as they seemed unattainable two years ago is the idea that one, at least one of them would become disgruntled. Now, the three targets were Giannis, Embiid, and Carl Anthony Towns. You know, Giannis has now got Dame Lillard next to him and are playing really well. They seem happy, although they're, you know, a few speed humps. Joel Embiid seems happier than he's ever been. He's not going anywhere. Uh, and Carl Towns, the same thing. He seems as happy as he's not going anywhere. So my question is for the biggest market in the NBA, with their three main targets now off the board, let's say, um, what do they need? Because th- th- they could end up being a 4C. They could end up with home court advantage. They might end up in a play, in the, but they're in that space where they're competitive most nights. Uh, they're small again. Mitchell Robinson's out 
for a month or two. Um, this talk about they just missed out on Donovan Mitchell when he went to Cleveland. He wants to get out of Cleveland. Do you go Donovan Mitchell and get a star even though positionally it's not quite right? Um, you know, do they go after Pascal Siakam and, and get off RJ Barrett and let RJ Barrett go and play in Canada as a Canadian? You know, do you have any thoughts on what the Knicks need given we've watched a fair bit of them? Yeah, I, I think if outside of those three, once you go from those three of Embiid, Giannis, and Carl Anthony Towns, it's a big step backwards. Isn't it's it? a huge step backwards for him. Um, I still believe they need to get off Julius Randle at some point because he's proven not to perform come uh, finals time. Um, I don't think Donovan Mitchell is what they need with what they currently have in Brunson. RJ Barrett is an interesting conversation with uh, Piascal Siakam because obviously he can fill into that four spot for Julius Randle as well. I don't know if they've got enough for Randle and um, uh, Barrett to go to Toronto, what Toronto could offer up in that situation. Um, but that outside of the three probably makes the most sense currently. But I'd, I'd want Julius Randle to be part of that trade uh, and moving him um, going forward. So uh, I think the Knicks have found themselves in a position that they didn't think that they'd find themselves in, which is without one disgruntled star that they were targeting, you'd think out of the three, especially with their history, that something would uh, would go awry. But, um, yeah, I guess that's would, what makes and, the and, NBA good. Because and to be honest, it wouldn't have been great to see one of those massive names in the biggest market in the NBA by population and having, you know, literally playing on Broadway. I think they target Bronny James in the draft, hoping that LeBron will come. <laughs> oh, no. Um, Hey, basketball works in cycles Um, It was only five, six years ago Where there were a lot of people who thought the big man was dead In the NBA and in in basketball in general And now you you almost need to be big in most people's minds to win now And, And you look at the teams in the NBA who are doing well and most people assume will be there when the whips are cracking. You know, uh, uh, yeah, Minnesota's big, Denver, Boston, Milwaukee, the 76ers, the Lakers are big, even the Pelicans are big and they're a bit of a dark horse at the moment, but they all have size. And when I say size, it's not just having a seven-foot-two guy in the middle, it's having length in the guard spots on the wings and in the front court. And you look at other teams... And, and, and I'll support your theory with Dallas here. Dallas are too small to really win this thing. Sacramento are too small. Cleveland's guards are too small, and their wings are too small for that matter. The Knicks right now, especially if uh, Mitch Robinson's out, they're, they're too small. I don't think they can win. And, and even Miami, I mean, if you're big, uh, is Bam out of Bayou, and, and you've got Jimmy Butler, of course, but I, I, they sort of sit somewhere in the middle, but... Do you need to be big to win? Clearly, bigs are back. Do can a team outside of one of those teams we've just listed as being big actually compete this year? Yeah, it's funny when I was thinking about this. It wasn't too long ago that we had 
uh, Draymond and Andre Iguodala at the four versus right. LeBron at the four um, to try and match up with the the style that the Warriors uh, played with and the way that the Cavaliers played with. Um, I think if we go back a number of episodes, one of the big reasons that I thought Denver won wasn't just because of Jokic, but they outsized them with Michael Porter Jr. and uh, Gordon. Uh, Gordon on, on as a wing player, they were just physically bigger and more dominant um, than any other team. And and you're right, it has swung around to a bigger team sort of era now. And the only thing that could probably stop it is an all-shooting team right now with good floor spacing and good shooting. Uh, and hopefully, with all things three-pointers these days, that your team knocks down more shots than them and take threes over twos. So, so the um, team you're talking about is Indiana. And, and Indiana is small on the wings. Yep. Tyrese isn't tiny, but... Yeah, Tyrese is a big guard. Yeah, they, they, they've, they've got some size with Miles Turner, but they're small. That they, They're the team that could shake this loose if they get hot and they play such high tempo, but they could have 150 points and just go, okay, we'll go three for two. And Dallas is proving it right now as well, the way that they've got Derek Lively, who's their only lob threat slash rim protector. And Luke, but Luke is a very big guard. Luke is a very big guard. Uh, and that's the the outlier in all of this. But they're, they're a team that tries to put 140 points plus on the board every time that they go out there. Um, I, I currently see it as a big team as a championship threat, um, and I don't, I don't see the Mavericks. I don't see Indiana being able to beat them in the current state. Um, but the only way that I could see it is is a team that actually shoots well in all five positions. And it's funny um, <clears throat> having having a five man that can stretch the floor right now. Um, four and five combination that could stretch the floor and shoot would probably be worth its weight in gold in the NBA currently in the way that it's it's working out. Um, there's just so much talent across the board. That's the hardest thing. There, there you might match up one well with one team who's got championship aspirations, but you might not match up well with the next team that's got championship aspirations. Now, after we mentioned last year, just on that for a second, do what Reith Finelady's First plus uh, negative in the plus minuses uh, after nine in a row. So he's one of those sort of guys. Now, this, uh, sorry, just before you move off that, he had to have done something wrong to fall out of the get a DMP shortly after that in two games. The worst like, thing, the, the biggest thing you can do wrong in a team that's tanking is play well. <laughs> so good. Um, hey, I, I couldn't help but think about this and. Back in the 1999-2000 season when I was at the Bulls, we, we started off by losing our first 11 games. It sucked. You just couldn't – you look down the schedule, you just don't know where a win's coming from because even the bad teams see you and go, okay, we get our win. So we won one, then we lost another 10. Um, so I had to go back and Google it. It's, I've kind of tried to wipe it from my mind a little bit. We lost 26 of our first 28 games. And it was the most miserable, defeated locker room. And I don't say that because anyone's a bad person. It's just hard to lose. You think about that in an NBL season. That's your whole season. 
You win yeah. two games. It's 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 a drag. Now, as we record this, and they're playing right now against Utah, Detroit have lost 24 games in a row. Now, the longest ever losing streak is 26. So that was the 2010-11 Cavs and 2013-14-76ers. Um, the longest actual streaks over two seasons, and that's 28. But I guess I've been in that locker room. It sucks. Culture, everyone gets individual. I think if we're going to lose anyone, I'm going to get my contract. I'm going to show out, which also, which makes it worse. Monty Williams got bought in as a culture guy. Not There's a lot of people in Phoenix who didn't think he could coach. You know, great guy, great culture guy, but not sure about the X's and O's. I don't care how good a culture guy you are. When you lose 24 in a row, that's a tough sell. Well, the last segment we talked about teams need to have shooters. This is a team littered with non-shooters. <laughs> littered with non-shooters. They don't have anyone that can shoot. They're bad. They've got. they've got Bogdanovich. They've got one person, and I'm pretty sure every team's got a person that can lock down the one shooter. Um, but you talk about Monty Williams. I'll talk about the GM and what they've put together as far as a roster. Like, do they have young talent? Yes, they do. Does this young talent fit well with each other? No, it does not. And when you have young talent that loses, that individual um, mindset comes in. Um, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit here. Um, when... Uh, Praddy came in to coach Dana's team in AFLW. I know I'm. this is a massive Eurostep. Get on it. But one of the first things he said to the girls after, I think, their second loss to start the season was, you're a bunch of fucking losers. You don't know how to win. Well, Detroit is a bunch of fucking losers that don't know how to win right now. Uh, it's not that they don't want to win. I believe that they would want to win, but... They've just been meshed together as far as a group goes that don't know how to win, are too young to understand or have the leadership to get out of the ruts like this to be able to go in the right direction. So as much as you want to put blame on Monty Williams and his lack of ability... No, no, I don't want to put blame on him. But but his lack, lack, lack of ability to potentially coach... I would put more blame on a general manager that put this team together and thought that this would be a good thing in an NBA system that relies on shot-making ability, um, the ability to... Oh, there's just so much that I look at Detroit and I just go, this is a ship without a rudder. So, there so, is no direction. So, so as we record this... Like I said, they're in a game. I'll tell you who they're playing right now. They're playing Utah. They're playing Utah, who are on a back-to-back. Utah just lost to Cleveland without Mitchell, without Garland, and got convincingly beaten by them. Now they're on a back-to-back. Laurie Markkinen's not playing because it's a back-to-back. If they can't beat the Utah Jazz without Laurie Markkinen on a back-to-back, and as we sit here, and we're going to know this, of course, by the time everyone's listening to this, we're going to know the result. But if you look at the result from today, and Utah, who are now leading the Pistons by six right before halftime, have lost, when's their next win? Oh, this could, 
Okay, here we go. Could this Detroit Pistons end up being the worst NBA team in history? Statistically, yeah. it might be. We might be looking at it. Yeah, it could be. I, I mean, they'll they'll pick up a win somewhere down the line, but where I don't know. You, you do really have to catch a, a team on a really, really, really bad night. Oh. But, um, they are just they're just bad. Just, yeah, um, no, they're just bad. They're just bad. Hey, I um, I'm, I'm flipping this. We'll get off the NBA, but I actually went to two WNBL games this week, um, which was a lot of fun and had a, had a pretty close look. And before I talk about the games, well, it's, it's probably hand in hand. Yeah, the, the Basketball Australia has come out this week and has confirmed its intent to bring in private partnership but retain control of the WNBL, which it needs now. There's been a number of groups of people who've known that for a long time and had and have had meetings and, you know, Scriven's on record as saying nothing's been officially presented, which is right. But there have been a lot of conversations had. The problem is when, you know, when you're someone like Larry or you're a business person who wants to take over and invest a lot of money, you want a controlling interest. So I'm not sure that Basketball Australia is going to get that sophisticated investor, as they describe it, to put a lot, a lot of money in with no control for them to drive it how they've driven it in the past and not No one would do well. that. Correct. So in the same breath as BA is saying that they want private investment, they're also saying and I sat in one of these meetings that there's not enough talent in women's basketball in Australia to expand. I could not disagree more. That So getting to this, I've gone and watched two games this week. There is more than enough talent. Some positions where we're really weak and we don't have many good point guards in Australia right now. But we've got hundreds of young, talented female basketballs in the United States playing college. Now, the difference between the men and the women is that for the men, there's always been an ultimate pathway to play college or stay in the NBL. Now, the NBL's a much higher-paying league now. They're an additional two teams. For for the girls, the WNBL's not an alternative pathway right now. There are eight teams... Most coaches in it play their veterans. I'm looking down the bench at these girls that have won international gold and silver medals who aren't playing a minute thinking, I'll tell you what, if I had a team, I'd be recruiting all of these talented kids. I'd be developing... Adam, I'd, Adam Ford in Cairns? Spot on. I would be the Adam Ford of the Cairns Taipans, developing these young girls, signing them all to multi-year deals. And, and let's have a shake at this. You know, Adam Ford crossed with the OK City Thunder. Let's get all the young talent and let's go to work because I think the young talent in women's basketball in Australia right now in two years' time beats the best of talent that exists right now. So the argument to not expand through that is absolutely rubbish. Get more, get another two teams straight away yep. before you even start. Put one on the Gold Coast to start. Maybe put another one in Sydney. Put one down in Hill or wherever it is. Mm-hmm. Get moving and give these girls jobs. I used to love it when the AIS had a team in the WNBL. Like that was a great uh, breeding ground for young talent to be able to play. At the end of the day, but um, 
no, there is definitely enough talent there um, for for there to be some sort of G League AIS type of team um, that you know you're not going to potentially win a championship, but you could breed the next superstar of the league and, and let them have their... And you know what? A lot of the young girls would sign with that team knowing that they've got a chance to play minutes versus going against a, a few vets knowing that you're not going to get that. But there is definitely enough talent floating around. Um, even you, you talk about the 100 kids that are over in the States right now playing. How many of our topper end, top end talent are playing in Europe right now as well. There, there's plenty of opportunity out there for to bring in another team and we, we've definitely got the talent that could fit it. Mate, uh, that'll do. I'd actually, before we sign off, one thing, the W, let's, let's give them a pat on the back as well. They finally got an app. So the WNBL now has its own app. So, and I believe they're streaming games on it as well. So if you're new to women's basketball, check it out. Go and check out the WNBL app. Watch some games on it. Check out the scores. Get to know some of the players. Uh, Everyone who's listened, Merry Christmas. Thank thank you for listening. Um, We love doing this. Uh, We're going to keep going over the holiday break. The next one, I think, we will do it in WA together. uh, Down down in beautiful Dunsborough. We will be down in Dunsborough. uh, Let's just do it on your wedding day. You won't have anything else on that day, will you? Um, Mate, Merry Christmas. We'll see you in a few days. Everyone who listens, thank you. Have a great holiday period. We'll speak to you soon. Merry Christmas. Knock, knock.